And the problem with calling something specialist or, you know, putting something on a pedestal is that it is inherently disempowering for those who aren't doing it. I don't have the faith for that. Yes, you do. It's the same faith. It's, Jesus, it's faith in Jesus. I don't have the grace for that. Yes, you do. Grace mm. is absolutely unconditional for all of us. Mm. Um, now, I could never do what you're doing. Oh, nor can I, frankly. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, on a monthly level, uh, you know, monthly, I, I want to pack it in and give up. But we we have just enough hope to keep going, just enough faith um, to believe that if we stick around and nail our feet to the ground, we will see an incremental move of God through the ones and twos changing a community. Mm. Um, who wouldn't want to give their lives to that? Welcome to the Follower Podcast, a place for conversations about following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. My name is Matthew Lewis, and I am so glad that you are here. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Follower Podcast. Man, it's good to be with you guys in your ears. Um, as you know, we've been just having conversations with different people on the podcast at this time, and I hope you've enjoyed it. If you if you haven't caught up, go back and have a listen to some of the conversations with Oz and John and uh, Mads. We've got so much great feedback from that chat with Mads just around, um, yeah, just right theology and right psychology and the bringing together of these worlds and and what it means to take captive our thoughts. And then Langer uh, on the last episode, and he was just talking to us about holiness and worship. So it's just been really rich in these last conversations. And um, today we have a new guest. And again, uh, I have never actually met him, but have heard about him through friends. And so just thought I'd reach out and he's very kindly made some time to chat with us. And his name is Pete Portal. Uh, Pete, welcome to the Follower Podcast. Hi, thanks, Matt. Good to be with you. Yeah, man. Thank you for making the time and uh, just really looking forward to our conversation today. Um, Pete, maybe introduce yourself a little bit to the Follower Podcast listeners. Tell us a little bit about where you're from. I know your story starts in UK, moves over to South Africa, but just fill in the details. Tell us a bit about who you are. Yeah, thanks. Um, Hi, everyone. Uh, I am Pete from London originally, um, southeast London, in fact, and have been living in Cape Town now for the last 13 years. So I'm Londoner born and bred, but, you know, over a third of my life and really my sort of proper adulting life has been in, in Cape Town, hence the slightly mixed up accent. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm married to Sarah, who's from Cape Town. We've been married 10 years, and we are parents to Simi, Simtandile, who uh, is our beautiful daughter, and she is almost two years old. Mm. And together, Sarah and I are part of a, a group of friends, really, a team, I suppose, uh, who are running a church community in a community called Manenberg. Uh, in the Cape Flats, about 20 kilometers outside of Cape Town. And yeah, we we are a, a family of families doing life together, seeking the peace of Manenberg, a community known for really pain and violence, I suppose, both historic and present day. And we have grown roots here. We have moved here. We do life here. Um, and we are believing for 
moves of God uh, here. So, yeah, that's uh, a little bit of who we are and what we're up to. Yeah. Thanks for that, Pete. And, you know, for those people who don't know too much about Mannenberg, uh, it's very different from London, right? There's, there's quite a stark contrast there. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the journey that moves you from a city like London to a place like Mannenberg uh, to plant your life, as you've said there. What, what is it? What right. happened that, that moved that? Yeah, so, I mean, first, firstly, Mannenberg is a community that shouldn't exist. Uh, it was built by the apartheid government in the 60s and 70s, really, um, you know, as the kind of white supremacist rationale kind of swept through the Group Areas Act and other such violence uh, where people in District 6 at the foot of Table Mountains, their homes were for, uh, uh, bulldozed and they were forcibly removed to the yeah, apartheid built townships and it was built for 40,000 people 50 years ago and now has upwards of 80,000 people um it is a glorious beautiful thriving place but it's the place that manifests pain daily with drugs and gangs poverty and addiction violence uh, etc um and yeah as you say it's very different to the environment I grew up in. I grew up in comfortable middle-class British suburbia on the outskirts of London. Um, went to Edinburgh University in Scotland, where I was doing a master's in uh, religious studies. And it was actually as a student there in the end of my third year, where a friend of mine came up to me after a university uh, lecture, after a theology lecture, and he said, um, hey, Pete, um, I'm leading a, a short-term mission trip to South Africa. Don't you want to come with us? And I, at the time, was uh, trying to get my foot in the door at the BBC, so I was working for CBBC, the kids' TV shows there uh, in, in London. And um, so I said to him, no, thanks. I want to spend the university holidays, you know, trying to work my way up uh, uh, the job ladder. And then he said, um, I think trying to sweeten the deal, he said, no, but we're going to go to prisons and work with um, gangsters and drug addicts. And I thought, <laughs> Ugh, no way, you're joking. Like, yeah. not at all on my radar, no interest in South Africa. Um, and then he played, you know, what I've now come to call the, tr the Christian trump card. He said, um, well, will you at least pray about it? <laughs> and, you know, what do you say to that? Of course, you have to say, sure, I would at least pray about it. So I prayed about it and you know, mumbled a half-hearted kind of prayer and um, nothing really happened. And except that a week later, I got a letter from the NHS, the National Health Service in, in the UK, saying that a shoulder appointment that I needed uh, due to multiple dislocations from an old rugby injury had been uh, scheduled smack bang in the proposed six-week date uh, for the, the short-term mission trip. So I said, I said to my friend, look, I prayed. The only answer I can conceive I have been given is that I now have an uh, unchangeable date for a shoulder operation I've been waiting nine months for, and I'm not going to give that up for your questionable mission trip. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he pushed harder. He said, well, why don't you phone them to see? And I was like, okay, fine. So I phoned the shoulder consultant secretary, and as she picked up and said hello, I clocked that she had a, an accent that I hadn't, I wasn't used to. And I said to her, look, I just ring to see if there's any possibility to change this shoulder operation date. And she said, um, not really. I mean, why? And I said, well, a friend wants me to go on a, a trip 
And she said, oh, a trip where? I said, oh, to, to South Africa. And she goes, oh, I'm from South Africa. What sort of trip is it? I said, um, like a Christian mission trip. She goes, I'm a Christian. Whereabouts in South Africa are you wanting to go? And I said, no um, uh, Paul, outside Cape Town. She goes, I'm from Paul. And then <laughs> no she goes, ways. listen, I, th- I think God wants you to go on this trip. When when do you want me to change your operation date? Man. And and so uh, simultaneously, my my spirit leapt and my heart sank as I realized, yeah, probably God's on this. Um, packed my bags and ended up in South Africa. We were staying in a township uh, community called Bontieville, uh, really a carbon copy to Manenberg in many ways, um, uh, on the outskirts of Cape Town. And we were broken into. We were um, we heard the gunshots of gang warfare. I was mugged um, at knife point. We spent time working with, um, working with, I mean, sitting around chatting to uh prison gangsters in uh, Drakenstein prison and hearing stories of trauma and abuse and grinding poverty, systemic injustice and oppression and realize, you know what, sitting there as a 22 year old, you know, middle-class Brit, just thinking, I don't blame you. I would have totally done half the stuff you were saying and talking about um, if I'd grown up with the, all the odds pitted against me as they had. And we would go back home every evening and just weep. We would just sit and we would cry, you know, kind of really just sort of um, soaking up the secondary trauma of all these sort of horrible stories. And and we we could do nothing but pray. And mm-hmm. um, in fact, you know, on, on short-term mission trips, you often get the sort of slightly intense ones. So we had two of them on our trip um, and we were, there were nine of us in a three bedroom house, you know, and we were ranging from 23 down to 18. So we were so green, so young, so naive. And, um, and, and they said, why don't we put all the girls in one room, all the boys in another room. And the third bedroom can be a 24 seven prayer room. Wow. And I, I, I didn't know them very well. I didn't, I'd never heard of a 24 seven prayer room, but it sounded uh, a little overly intense. Um, a questionable use for a third bedroom for sure. Um, but at the, at the end of, at the end of every day coming back from Drakenstein prison and sitting in Bontival in this community where people were like, no, don't go out on your own. Don't do this. Don't do that. And we're like, what? We just wept. We just wept and wept. And, and, and it was in those evenings in that prayer room that I think God really deposited his heart uh, for the lost addicted violent generation of gangsters and drug addicts in the Cape Flats so I came back to London um, and kind of moaned and complained and to everyone you know I could talk to about it no one cared there's no reason why they should have done Uh, and I realized actually this is this is my revelation this is my exposure to something and I've got a responsibility to respond so I went back finished my degree you know, wrote about the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, wrote about South Africa, wrote about gangs, drugs and reconciliation, you know, just obsessively for my last year at university and just said, like, I I think I need to go back. I, much as children's TV and the BBC was fun, like, there was an urgency, there was a burning in me to try and see if the gospel would work in the lives of the most hopelessly violent and addicted people I'd ever come across. Um, 
And that's obviously not a comment on the whole population, but just the people that we encountered in prison right. and yeah. uh, through church outreaches and stuff. Um, so yeah, beginning of 2009, came back as a fresh-faced 23-year-old and uh, you know had a huge amount to learn. Wow, what a journey, man. You know, it's, um, it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever read a little bit of Shane Claiborne, Irresistible Revolution, uh, this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a formative book for me Absolutely. back in the day. Yeah, similarly, I think, uh, well, I read that book and I just basically wanted to be Shane, but I didn't have any hair, so I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, you know, what you're describing so resonates with what he talks about, about how, it's like it's not that rich people in you know in parentheses don't care about poor people, it's that they don't know them, and yeah. so often there's just this distance you know that like socially has been constructed between us, yeah. and um, unfortunately, regardless of how well intentioned we may or may not be, if there's no proximity to people mm. in their hardship, it's very hard for the spirit of God to move us into those places. And when I listen to your story, I just hear so much of that. I don't know, would you agree with that? And and how does that resonate with you? You know. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he Shane Claiborne is a very significant person for a lot of particularly basically suburban white people from the Northern Hemisphere and the West trying to sort of get their head around systems of privilege and, uh, well, systems of injustice that privilege white people and this and that. And he, he I mean, he wrote something that I really related to where he said, um, don't choose issues, choose people. Right. And when you choose people, the issues will choose themselves. And mm -hmm. I think in moving into Manenberg, a year after I moved back to, you know, or properly moved to Cape Town, in 2010, I moved into Manenberg. Um, and I moved in with a, uh, a heroin addict um, who was in a gang called the Hard Living Gang or affiliated with the Hard Living Gang. And you know, you can choose all these issues on drug rehab and on trauma and this, and this, and this, but actually you choose people. And then you begin to realize that actually it's love deficits and it's neglect and it's um, false conceptions of self. And yes, it's a lot of pain. And, you know, we've all got variations of that. Mm. Um, it just looks different culturally. Mm. Um, and proximity is the thing that changes us as well. I think, you know, over the last 13, 14 years, the, the word, well, two words that have been hugely significant for me have been uh, reciprocity and congruence. And by reciprocity, I mean not that I have come to Manenberg to give people stuff or do stuff for people or hand out a combination of clothes, food, hugs and opinions which generally we white people tend to do um but reciprocity so actual authentic friendships that go both ways mm. huge gift and as you say the systems of the world that keep people away from each other actually rob us of reciprocal friendships with quote those not like us mm. and then the other word is congruence and is really trying to close the gap between the story we tell about ourselves and the life we live. Sure. Uh, closing the gap between our private self and our public self. 
Um, because when you move into a 99% Cape colored community, um, as a white British guy, you stick out like a sore thumb and really <laughs> yeah. you are, you are your ministry. Right. All, all people care about is, um, whether, whether you are living up to the message that you're professing and really that's right. all anyone cares about. And mm. so often the church isn't, and that's the greatest damage we can do anywhere. Right. But there was this, there was this immediacy that was in, in my face of people wanting to be like, okay, then show, you know, show us mm. Jesus is true and loves us by how you live, mm. which, you know, is Christianity 101, right? But um, yeah, it took man and boy to really help me uh, work those sorts of things out. Mm. Beautiful beautiful thoughts there and you know around this idea of reciprocity i mean I, I guess i'm just wondering i mean it resonates with a little bit of another another guy i've read a bit of is leslie newbegin and uh mm. yeah and he talks about dialogical evangelism have you heard about this concept yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so what you're kind of describing there is it like you know none of us own jesus and we, right. we all discover jesus in one another and so there's a kind of dialogue that happens where I sit at a table and you sit at a table and then our midst is Christ. And I learned yeah. something of Christ in you that I, I didn't have before I met yeah. you. So I guess I'm, yeah. maybe what I'm wondering is uh, how has Mannenberg shown you Jesus and who, you know, who are the people in Mannenberg that have shown you Jesus? Well, I think of golly, I mean, who hasn't, you know, when, when I when I hear the stories of you know some dear friends who have come out of abuse and poverty and addiction and homelessness and prison time and all the rest of it, and I see them now and you know vulnerable and honest and transparent about their weaknesses and shortcomings, but my goodness, gloriously transformed by the Spirit of Jesus, I just mm. think. I've just not come across this depth mm. of transformation in people before, you know, um, where actually it really is a matter of life and death and it really is a matter of um, heroin or Jesus, for example. Wow. I mean, wow. I think of a, a, a dear young man uh, who came to live with Sarah and I. So one of the things that we have done since 2014 is actually uh, um, how we opened our home to um, over, I think, about, eight years we opened our home to about 60 young men i lost count um oh, who came wow. and lived with us um uh just the, the one criteria being that they were between 18 and 25 and really wanted out of drugs and gangs mm. uh and so god said we felt god really clearly say to us uh spend everything you've got sarah's mother had passed away due to cancer uh, sadly, amazing woman of faith and uh, left Sarah some money and the legacy that that money uh, turned into was that we were able to buy a home in Manenberg. This was after I met Sarah. This is a couple of years later from the last story. And invite young men to come live with us and say, come and not necessarily get clean or start you know, following Jesus even, but just come firstly and belong and be part of a uh, a, a redemptive brotherhood uh, and one young man who did come and uh, live with us was called Marwan and he was 20 years old and he was uh, on heroin he was 
a Muslim. He was in a gang and he came and lived with us and, you know, got off heroin uh, within the week and got through cold turkey and all of that through baptism of the Holy Spirit and praying mm. in tongues. Um, there's an amazing story. The first day he came in and we were we were playing worship music and really trying to create a, a faith environment. And he was sweating and shivering, lying in bed and body pains and, you know, all the rest of it. And we, um, at the end of one song, he just said, he kind of croaked from his bed and he just said, can you play that one again? Wow. Sure, you know. And then over and over, he just said, please play that again. Please play that again. We're like, sure. And I said to him, and it was the song... Um, by Jonathan and Melissa Helson, No Longer Slaves. Right. And um, he said, whenever that song plays, my pains go. What? And we were like, wow. Amazing. And that evening, uh, we had a worship event um, that we were doing monthly at the time in a little cafe we were running down the road. And we said to Marwan, come along. Eventually, we persuaded him to come and he rapped himself in a duvet and came along still pretty fragile and the first song of the evening uh, was no longer slaves and Come as on. we began he jumped into the middle threw off his duvet and just said guys pray for me everyone Come prayed on. around him Come started on. weeping speaking in tongues and then just started jumping up and down just said my pains are gone i feel no more pain and the rest of the evening was bouncing off the walls Man. and and so that was the evidence of Jesus doing something that we couldn't do with methadone or even counseling or this and that. It was, it was a yeah. deliverance from the pains of, the, of biological dependency on heroin. But it was after that that then Marwan began to put on, not just enjoy the power of sort of deliverance, but actually put on the character of Christ. And, you know, he... Um, a bunch of Muslim men came to the door one day and said, you know, why are you in here? You should be at mosque with us. And he said, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I read the Bible now. And what I read in the Bible, I'm seeing come true in my everyday come life. On. I cannot deny this is true. Again, Christianity 101, you know, the Bible is true, guys. Um, <laughs> and, you know, these yeah. stories like are still happening. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and then... You know, he went and washed his mother's feet and asked her for forgiveness for everything he'd ever done. And but then, most significantly, he and a colleague um, of ours planned a fundraising walk from Johannesburg to Cape Town. Uh, so you know, you're looking at—I forget if it's fifteen or eighteen hundred kilometers—and they were going to do this over a course of three months or so and just walk and uh, shine a light on the failing school system in Manenberg and try and raise some money to do a mentoring and discipleship program with at-risk youth. Wow, um, tragically on the second day he was killed uh, a car hit him mm. and he died and yet his legacy lives on you know six years later his family members and siblings come to faith his video was shared on Facebook and viewed 200,000 times you know like mad stuff wow, wow. and here was a guy who was saved healed and delivered and yeah he tragically died, but yet uh, one of the guys living with us now is five years clean. His wife's just got saved a couple mm. of years ago. Uh, he's out of gangs, off drugs and working. And the reason he came into the house was because he saw Marwan. The reason Marwan oh, came into the house was because he saw Dwayne, 
who was the first heroin addict I lived with on my own in 2010. Mm-hmm. And so we see a chain of discipleship just uh, being passed on through lives transformed. And so, yeah, Jesus is everywhere in Malenburg. <laughs> Absolutely incredible, Pete. Thank you for that story, man. And, and, you know, for the, maybe if you're listening in now, guys, and maybe you're a little skeptical of these things, I would just encourage you, uh, number one, read the Bible, because this stuff is completely, it's not unprecedented yeah. in scriptures. The Bible's full of it. But also another, you know, as you're talking, I'm just so reminded of uh, Jackie Pullinger uh, and mm. Ch- Chasing the Dragon and her story in China, which so resonates yeah. with what, you, what you're talking about. She also, you know, through the spirit and, and this kind of thing. God did yeah. amazing things with heroin addicts in that kind of space, man. So, so yeah, I was just 55 years direction. later, she's still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, she, she, she's become a friend over the years and it's a huge inspiration to us as we look at, uh, exactly the, 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 the Holy spirit and, and, and the miraculous, a mandatory in the conventional Christian life. It is as, it's no more supernatural to raise the dead than it is to love our neighbors as ourselves. We, we need the Holy Spirit entirely for both such things. And it really isn't the package deal that we've been set to believe that either mm. you are a kind of social activist over here talking about systemic injustice and mm. the poor and the oppressed, or you're over here as one of those kind of wacky charismatics talking about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and healing. Like, it's a full dichotomy. both yes. of those and the fullness of both of those need to come together in a sort of third way, mm. uh, which I believe is the way of the kingdom. And that's what really we're going after with everything we've got here in Manenberg. Yeah. Uh, you were using the phrase of uh, revivalist and activist. Um, and I, yeah, I just mm. wanted to un- unpack that thought a little bit. Like this is what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. But, but maybe right. give us a little bit more of an insight into this idea. Like, you are going after as a community, both being a revivalist and activist. Right. And, you know, and so, so you don't find these words in the Bible. These are, you know, in a sense, Christian jargon, but I think they point to theological, um, how to put this, just different ways of trying to live as fully as we can for Jesus. And so you've got a stream of faith that I you know, that not I call, but that is seen as, uh, that is called activism. And activism tends to be about advocacy and systemic injustice. It tends to look uh, at historical oppression. It tends to uh, combine social sciences with theology. It tends to, um, you know, that's that's kind of at the, at the, at the core of it. Things like, um, yeah, the the anti-human trafficking or fair trade or environmental awareness or um the incarceration levels of african americans in america whatever you know whatever it might be but it's it's these big systemic things mm. and over on the other side but oh but 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 pivotally often activism is quite angry or can be quite angry right uh yeah. people i meet who are really immersed in that kind of stream of the church often are uh, feeling quite unsupported, uh, kind of almost like lone prophet in the wilderness stuff. 
shouting in a vacuum. You know, no one can hear. Here I am doing my thing up against all these huge systemic injustices. And then conversely, on the flip side, if you think of a spectrum right at the other end, you've got uh, the sort of happy, claffy revivalists who, you know, for whom God is in a good mood all the time. Hallelujah. Amen. Mm, and it's mm. it's kind of about me, my destiny, my healing, my prophetic words, my anointing, uh, my process, my journey. Mm, mm. Um, and uh, sin or whatever deliverance are conceived of as um, personal. Right. Um, whereas over on this side, sin and deliverance are conceived of as systemic so revivalists uh that stream of uh faith tends to be off the signs and wonders and miracles uh uh healings and demonic deliverances and all that goes with it absolutely but here's the thing my conviction is that we need to combine the healing of bodies that the revivalists are going after with the healing of memories that the activists are going after mm. we need to combine mm. the next world focused evangelism of the revivalists with the this world focused advocacy of the mm. activists man that's good Peace. we need to go after the personal demonic deliverance of individuals who are oppressed wow as well as taking down demonic structures that have left countless multitudes oppressed historically mm. in systems you know and if you look at jesus's ministry it was always personal and it was always systemic mm. if you look at for example um in mark chapter five where he and his uh, disciples go to the other side of the lake and they encounter the demoniac who calls himself legion you know because he's got many many demons and without going to a full-blown preach here um that story is actually all about the pigs because you'd imagine that the villagers who were scared of this guy who, who they had basically marginalized to the tomb, uh, to the tombs, cutting himself, um, probably struggling with massive mental health stuff as well as demonic uh, oppression. You know, the best that the world could offer this guy was incarceration on the margins of society, right. which should ring a bell because that's pretty much the best our worldly systems can offer people these days. Goodness. Jesus comes in in one sentence, delivers this man of a legion of demons. And where do the demons go? Into the pigs. The pigs run off a cliff and are drowned. Now, why this? Well, the people, it was a non-Jewish area. It was a Gentile area. They were pig farmers. The pigs represented their financial security. It represented the ability to afford comfort. It represented the way we've always done things. It represented tradition. It represented uh, life as you know, business as usual. Jesus came. He said, look, you can have it one of both ways. Either you can have your comfort, you can have your financial security, but you'll have no power to deliver and release the uh, demonized and addicted or mm. whatever, the oppressed. Or, look, this man fully clothed, sitting here in his right mind, but will you, will you give up all your comfort and security and everything you've known in order to see a move of God in your region? Come on, come and they, on. And they were scared and they begged Jesus to leave, mm. right? And I think the thing is, for Jesus, both he was he was freeing someone, a man uh, uh, oppressed by de demons, and he was also critiquing a system that kept the demonized, marginalized, and oppressed. Wow! You see, wow. Wow. and and then just incidentally, he sends out this ex demoniac as the first apostle, saying, "Go and tell everybody <laughs> yeah, what's happening." You know, exactly right. so. Um, 
and 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 so over and over again then in that story again he goes Jairus's daughter who's uh who's sick Jairus a man of stature and influence comes to Jesus Jesus makes this man of stature wait whilst he what sits at the feet of a woman who had a chronic illness and listens to her whole story mm. and then not only does he heal her and restore her back to society whilst making a powerful man who's never been used to waiting wait in front of everybody wow but then he also goes and um resurrects this um girl who it, by this time has died it's it's the personal deliverance and healing along with a systemic critique and so we need to combine both of these things in our ministry as we look to labor with the spirit for social transformation that is so good Sorry, that was a bit lengthy. But There's nothing to apologize for. This is really for. my ob- obsession, absolute obsession, is how can we bring together... I'm, I'm pretty sure Satan is loving the fact that we've got these disparate streams of the church yes. pointing fingers, getting involved in the culture wars and uh, aligning mm. with left and right politically and all the rest of it, where it's nothing to do with that. It's to do with the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the the prophetic uh the systemic prophetic to um bring down strongholds that keeping generations and systems bound mm-hmm. yeah it reminds me of uh, two things and number one uh, dallas willard is a voice we listen to a lot here on the podcast there uh, Love be, dallas willard. yeah you know he's so helpful and in the renovation of the heart he says some, a couple of things really clear he goes you know jesus is a revolutionary if you framed him as yeah. anything else, you've misunderstood. But he talks about yeah. how how the revolution of Jesus is a revolution of the human heart, because systems aren't enough to change society, right? It's because we're good. and often on the activist side, I see an emphasis on system transformation. But what Dallas yeah. points out is like it doesn't matter how good your system is if it's in broken hands, it's a broken system, you know? Yeah. Um, and then this is where he talks about the the renovation of the human heart being the only thing that can be a channel for justice like these transformed internal worlds uh, but then totally. that, that have this external output you know so i think that's really what you're pressing into and then quickly this other thought that really jumped to mind was um a while back i did some studies around reclaiming the gospel and and the implication of that for evangelism so if we if we bring back the gospel in terms of a biblical picture how then do we communicate it and one of the phrases i loved was uh, this guy said, you know, so often on the other side of the spectrum, this sort of charismatic space, not to beat up on the charismatics, but, uh, you know, we talk a lot about saved souls, uh, mm. like, you know, getting souls. And he said, really, the gospel is not so much about saved souls, but about transformed wholes, whole yeah. communities, whole societies. Yeah. And that starts absolutely with personal, but it necessarily flows into the corporate. And one really can't yeah. be separated from the other. You know, I don't know. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, totally, you know, on the, on, on the extremes of both ends, you know, um, the Nazis were very well organized and used people's education to build effective and efficient means of slaughtering millions of people. Jeez. Education yeah. and efficiency will not change things. Right. Uh, on the flip side, um, how many, 
you know, stadium revivals, you know, get everybody to raise their hands and 50,000 people were saved today. Great. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they were, maybe they won't, you know, we can talk about that in another podcast, but, <laughs> right. but how is, how is that translating into, into kingdom impact? Um, mm. Very often it's not very often. It's the same people raising their hands. Very often it's evangelism without discipleship devoid of community. Um, you know, as you say, it's easy to hate on stuff. And that, uh, that's not the point. The point is more a prophetic imagining of like, can you believe mm. how glorious this could be if we kind of put yes. the differences away? And as I say, you know, can you imagine if, um, you know, yeah, demonic deliverance happened systemically and personal and healings of memories and minds and, and hearts as well as mm. bodies. And, uh, you know, and that's why I love Marawan's story because it really was the whole the whole package. It was, mm. you know, Islam, gangs, addiction. It was... Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to release him, but then also the conviction of the Holy Spirit to work towards the making new of an earthly system. And I can just imagine, Pete, I mean, you know, when you, you describe a little bit of your story, you talk about how your own journey has moved from kind of one being a very strong conservative, almost like a reformed space to this very charismatic space, now to something in between where you use this language. I love this. You said Jesus has become uh, more beautiful than prescriptive, more free than churchy, more adventurous than comfortable and more faithful than angsty. Um, you, It seems you've kind yeah. of landed in a place of necessary tension um, in order to live into these things. I wonder if you could speak a bit to that. Yeah, I mean, I was actually chatting. Uh, you mentioned Langa. Uh, I was chatting with him about some of this the other day. Um, the tension, always the tension. Tensions are creative. You know, if you've got a piece of loose elastic or a loose guitar string or whatever, you can't do much with it. But when you tighten that and create a tension, that's when you get the music and the notes. Mm. And um, and it seems to me that we're living in a tension, or not not a tension, all kind of a tension between heaven and earth, as as well as between past and future. Right. Um, and, you know, so we are a storied historic faith, but we're also prophetic apostolic people. We have vision Absolutely. to bring an ancient story into the future. We mm-hmm. have faith to partner with the spirit and seeing heaven invade, possibly. I'm not sure I love that language, but certainly pervade earth. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, there's, there's a beautiful tension, but like, why are we running away from tension? Why are we? Why are we running away from, you know, what is what are, was our what what is our obsession with either or? Yes. Can't we have both? You know, thesis, antithesis, then synthesis. This is like you know, <laughs> right? Like yes. it, it, it's, it's like it's it's there. It is. Um, yeah. Jesus said, "You have heard that it has said was said, but I say to you this: it's, it's not that, but but this." Um, and I think there's, I just think there's, I just think it's a lot more interesting, a lot more beautiful. I think it stands up to scrutiny if we don't just throw our lot in with, you know, essentially the package deal of to use an American kind of uh, paradigm of like either being kind of, I love Trump, I'm a Republican, I don't particularly respect the environment, I'm completely against abortion, I'm completely pro guns, I'm this and that, you know, it's like, why, why, 
you know, why why that package deal? And then on this hand, you know, on this sense, it's like, well, I, I'm I'm completely into intersectionality on every every level. I, you know, um, I'm a uh, Democrat. I um, fully left wing. I'm this. I'm that. Other like, why why everywhere humans want to create these dichotomies? And it's like. Mm. You know, what if you're anti-abortion and pro-environment? You know, like it's like Correct. you know, it's like <laughs> Correct. yeah. What yeah. if you're pro it's Israel? Like why do and I have to choose a side? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, why do I have to choose a side here? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and 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 actually I don't think Jesus chose signs. If you look at the, the makeup of his disciples, he had a, a tax collector, you know, basically selling out his people to Rome. He had unschooled or uh, who was very educated and clever he had um unschooled ordinary fishermen he had zealots who were basically left-wing revolutionaries mm. you know and he had um many women as well who in that time you know w- w- wouldn't have been respected or looked particularly well upon so like he had left he had right he had uh, empire he had revolution he had it all together mm. and he turned the this this you know, for him, that wasn't the issue. The issue was blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed right. are the meek. You know, it's the beatitude stuff. Right. And to go back to, to kind of what we were talking about, this is the stuff, this is the gift that Manenberg is to me in a way that, you know, middle-class London wasn't, is that it keeps me spiritually hungering and thirsting. It keeps me poor in spirit. It actually teaches me about meekness. It Mm. helps me reevaluate what it really means to be a peacemaker um and to be misunderstood and to be criticized for trying to follow jesus with you know to the best of your abilities and beyond your abilities empowered by his spirit mm. a little phrase with followers uh, follow jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth um and, yeah. and this is what we're talking about the bringing together of these two worlds you know um, yeah Man, but so we've we, but we've made that exceptional as if following Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth that's that's exceptional oh my god you know I've heard someone say to me before oh Pete the, the ministry you guys are involved in is this really specialist ministry that is isn't it and I said whoa whoa, whoa absolutely not no right. it's listen listen what we do is the most logical response to the gospel that Sarah and I can think of living in the most racially divided city in the world's most economically unequal country Mm. it makes perfect sense actually and it's totally reasonable and the problem with calling something specialist or you know putting something on a pedestal is that it is inherently disempowering for those who aren't doing it i don't have the faith for that yes you do it's the same faith it's it's faith in jesus i don't have the grace for that yes you do grace Mm. is absolutely unconditional for all of us Mm. um no i could never do what you're doing oh nor can i frankly like (laughs) you know on a monthly level uh, you know monthly i i want to pack it in and give up but we we have just enough hope to keep going just enough faith um to believe that if we stick around and nail our feet to the ground we will see an incremental move of god through the ones and twos changing a community Mm. um who wouldn't want to give their lives to that Right. 
and that that takes me to the next thought because this is what I was um, thinking as you were speaking is that I would hope that people who are listening don't dismiss this as exceptional or like an outlier and, right. and in some way would be able to embrace it for them in their life. But mm. um, I'm just thinking of some of the people who I know who listen to this podcast regularly. And mm. I can imagine them saying, man, like everything that Pete's saying resonates with me. But, but I, you know, I'm raising kids and I'm living in my house and I've got my job and where do I even start? You know, where do I right. begin? What's the first step into this? I wonder what, what would you say to someone who said that, you know? Yeah, we get, I, and we get this a lot. It's, it's an obvious pushback and it's a perfectly reasonable response as well. Yeah. And, the, but you know, the, the kind of rhetorical question I often get met with is, so what are you saying? I need to give everything up and move to Manenberg. Mm. And I say, well, no, that I haven't. So I couldn't tell you to, you know, I haven't given everything <laughs> up. I've got a house. So I've got, I'm sitting chatting to you on my iPad, you know, like, like right. define giving everything up firstly but but secondly please don't move to Manenberg and certainly don't do it as a response to guilt because that's Satan not God um mm. and you'll be fish food but um I think we do need to we do need to kind of work out what people mean by when we talk about the front line people talk about frontline ministry and again this is this is the inherently disempowering stuff to give you an example of what I mean by front line and how the front line isn't a thing we were. Um, we used to have offices in Manenberg, uh, in the centre of Manenberg, um, right in the middle of two warring gangs, and in a particularly violent gang fight. I mean, all gang fights violent, but there just seemed to be a lot of people dying at this point. But across the road was a little spaza shop, a little tuck shop, and so I. Um, we needed milk for coffee, so I ran down and ran across the road to get some milk. Um, didn't want to, you know get into a long conversation with the guy but um spoke to the somali guy who was who ran the shop and i said to him um are you doing all right here you're really on the front line here aren't you he said front line am i all right he goes this is pieces of cake i'm from mogadishu manabo's easy <laughs> wow. and um and i ran back and i sat there and i thank i thought oh so so it's all relative isn't it manenberg isn't mogadishu right. um you know like for this guy, yeah, sure, he's not denying the the presence of bullets and violence and all of that, but try living in Mogadishu was his thing. Mm. And so it got me reflecting on like, what do we even mean by the front line? Wouldn't a better way of putting it for those who would want to kind of, in a sense, write themselves off by calling us front line or, I don't know, specialist or, you know, outliers and I'd say, well, let's rather talk about front foot living um, because each one of us can live wholehearted lives for Jesus, front footed, not in a defensive stance, but really, you know, poised for the next move that the Holy Spirit's got for us. Whether you are uh, bringing up children full time or whether you are arranging flowers or whether you are peeling potatoes or, I don't know, emptying bins or doing mergers and acquisitions in some high rise whatever you're doing the spirit of god can empower you to do it as jesus would do it mm. um as we are believing he is doing for us here in manenberg so of course the answer is not everybody should move to manenberg and do what we're doing far from it that'd be an absolute nightmare 
Um, but what you know, vocation comes from vocatio, the, the Latin for calling, doesn't it? What is your vocation? And ask yourself, is what you're spending your nine to five, is what you're spending your nine to five doing ordained by God? Because if you haven't heard God on it, why are you doing it? Wow. Why are you spending hundreds and hundreds of hours of your life doing something God's not got for you? And you can say, well, that's a luxury, Pete. I don't have the luxury of, you know, fine. I, I get that. Not all of us are able to, but like start praying, start saying, well, Lord, what have you got for me? What is mm. my unique contribution to the Great Commission? Mm. Because each one of us has got our unique, us shaped hole in the Great Commission that we'll be missing if we don't fulfill it. Yeah. And that's the beauty of free will. That's the beauty of the commission is that it isn't generic, but that each one of us has this really vapor breath of a time on earth to give our entire life to worship of Jesus in whatever sphere of society he's called us to. For us, it's Manenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I'd hate for someone to feel disempowered or condemned or like just that they could write off themselves because it, they don't have, I don't know, gangs and bullets in their life on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I think something that really stirs for me around the gospel, and this is like a growing conviction at the moment, is that um, there's a necessary cost for all of us to count. You know, yeah. I, th- I think it's Bost Bonhoeffer talks about the cost of discipleship. And Jesus, right. Jesus, <laughs> the Jesus, who says, if you want to, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it, you know. Yeah. And I think for me, that's that's a non-negotiable. Even Dallas Willard, he talks about like, unless you can embrace death to self, you can't really enter into discipleship. Because, mm. because for as long as preservation and comfort is on the forefront of our agenda, that becomes the barrier to partnership with Christ. Because that that right. will be that will always be the thing that we put before obedience, you know. And yeah. so I, I just love what you're saying because nobody can determine the outcome for you. Nobody can tell you what your vocational expression must look like. Only Jesus has that for you. Mm. But we but we can say that a, a sort of common ground and base starting point is have you have you embraced that cruciform life in terms right. of front footedness? Like just in the posture of your own heart, if you can you honestly sit before the Father and say, in the depths of myself, to the to the degree that I'm able, I my hands are open, you know, mm. and and then, and then I think that the Spirit is gracious to meet us there, uh, in the midst of the very ordinariness of, of our days, you know. Right, and 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 actually, it's a difference, but you know, faithfulness to what God's got for us, rather than copying someone else, is a difference. Parabol- paraborically stated as the difference between well done good and faithful servant or away from me i never knew you mm, you know right and that's yeah. that's that's everything And it, it kind of comes back again to what you said. Um, I mean, you know, you've been talking about this revivalist activist stuff. And and to be honest with you, Peter, a lot of it is just wild and crazy and, and very inspiring. But then you say mm. something so beautiful. You say, in the end, everything gets boring apart from intimacy with God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I heard someone, uh, someone come from a place where they were saying, 
serious like physical healings and wacky manifestations all over the place and he said can i be honest with you after a couple of years it got a bit boring mm. you know I'd, I'd seen it all mm. but he said um but then i realized i had i had kind of got wonky and i was basically missing jesus because i was too busy seeing all this other stuff going on he said mm. but jesus doesn't get boring jesus is fascinating jesus is compelling you know it's, it's so interesting to me in the current you know, cultural moment we're in that, you know, whatever you might want to do with cancelling evangelical churches or this or that, or what, you know, all the sort of, you know, the, the culture wars that are going on at the moment, like the one thing you cannot do is, is cancel Jesus because he <laughs> is absolutely, you cannot put him in a box. He absolutely transcends every different ideology or whatever mm. that, 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 that will be either affirm or critique. Mm. And he's endlessly beautiful, endlessly faithful, endlessly fascinating. And we will never, ever get bored of keeping in step with his spirit. Yeah. And I think that that's usually, you know, kind of where my conversation with people leads. And, and for myself, to be honest, is that John 15 place of like, if you will mm. abide in me and you will mm. architect, architect your life around abiding, then God mm. is faithful to produce fruit in us, you know, and I, right. I'm increasingly persuaded that you genuinely, I think it's genuinely impossible to live in deep intimacy with the father and not have a kingdom shaped lifestyle. I just, <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? I just yeah. don't know how, yeah, that, yeah. I can't see how that would happen, you know? No, I agree. And, and we've got to ask ourselves, why are we even praying? Yeah. Is it for the transformation of cities, nations, regions? Yes. Is it to see heaven come on earth? Yes. But that can't be our driver. Our driver has to be that Jesus is beautiful. Mm. I pray because I want communion with Jesus. Oh, that's it. And I believe communion with Jesus is the only starting point for the transformation of regions and nations. Yeah. But if I'm using prayer as some functional exercise or even some strategic exercise, then I've actually bastardized the whole thing. You know, I've, I've prostituted intimacy with Jesus on the altar of kind of worldly strategy and accolades, which is wow. antithesis to the antithesis to the gospel anyway, to try and justify my existence through successful endeavors. So whatever you end up achieving by the world standards, wherever you go, whatever you do, if it doesn't start with Jesus, and if it isn't rooted in jesus and if it doesn't come from a place of intimacy with jesus ultimately it's vanity the problem is the world could lord you with all sorts of accolades and you know celebrate you for being successful you build a big church an influential ministry uh, 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 a replicable model you know these are the things that we're getting the whole time how scalable is it can you replicate it you know is it a model of best practice is it uh, answering the world's most intractable problems is that you know all of these things that mm. we want superlatives the whole time and people will put you on stages for all of that and yet jesus is saying to us guys it's noise it's vanity you know one of my favorite quotes is that the church is a little like the swimming pool all the noise comes from the shallow end <laughs> And, you know, we're, we're busy splashing around and people are rewarding us and high-fiving us for it and, you know, saying how great that is. And Jesus is just quietly calling us to the depths. Mm. Um, so 
yeah, I'm I'm looking at the moment. I'm currently writing a book on. Um, it's called How to Be Unsuccessful, mm. and and the whole point of it is really that Jesus is called to the kingdom and to what he would call success is diametrically opposed to anything the world conceives of as successful or effective. Love it, yeah. And so we, yeah, we need to follow him deeper rather than listen to the noise of contemporary influence. Totally. It just reminds me of Jesus going, um, you know, if you get your award from men, that's cool. Right. But then you've, exactly. received, you've received it in full. You know? Yeah. But if you're yeah. on, if you want the reward of heaven, you got to close the door and be in the secret place. You know. Yeah, you nailed it exactly. Oh, so good, Pete. This has been such a rich conversation, man. Thank you for being on the podcast. Such a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, man. Before we go, I'd love to uh, point people in the direction of. Uh, I know you've written a book, No Neutral Ground. Where tell us a little no bit about ground, that and where yeah. people can get it. No Neutral Ground. Yeah, it's really um, the story. Uh, a lot of stuff that I've shared in this, but loads more of the story from London to Manenberg and some of the triumphs and tragedies along the way. Um, really trying to work out, not work out, trying to kind of cast a vision for what uh, revival could look like in South Africa specifically, mm. um, but also everywhere. And the call of God to empty ourselves and live in proximity to the well, no one's voiceless, but the preferably unheard and the deliberately yeah. silenced, sure. uh, as Aaron Doherty Roy calls it. Um, yeah, so so that and you know some funny funny anecdotes in there as well. Um, so you can get no, uh, no neutral ground on loot on Take a Lot on Amazon. You know, exclusive books. Great, and then you've got a new book. You said you're just working on this: uh, How to Be Unsuccessful. How to Be Unsuccessful. Um, that's a new book that's only coming out next year. Um, and, but you can get all sorts of various sort of talks and other resources on peteportal.com and you can find out about the ministry of Manenberg at treeoflife.org.za. Fantastic, man. Well, we'll have to get you back on when the, when the new book comes out. We'd love to have a conversation around that stuff, Pete. I'd love that. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you, guys. I hope this uh, conversation was helpful for you as always um, and really just giving you some thoughts and ideas around how you follow Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth in the world today. We will uh, catch up with you in the next episode and all these links will be um, in the show notes of the podcast. So make sure you go check it out. Thanks, guys. Till next time.